Reading the Word of God is the first step. How do I know what to do about Christianity? How do I know how to follow God if I don't first of all read what He's given me? Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I cannot produce that faith without first of all knowing what He said, and upon knowing what He said, I prove what He says, and by proving what He says, I believe it to be true. Remember in the book of Acts what is said of the Bereans. They said they are more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received what was said, but they searched the Scriptures daily. Why? To find out whether these things were so. What were they reading? Old Testament. Prophecies. Descriptions of what's to come. Think about what it was written in Isaiah 2 and Daniel 2 and Joel 2. What is it describing? The coming of the church. Remember, Peter and Paul both described that idea of this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel describing what is going to happen this very day on the day of Pentecost. When the church was founded, those 3,000 souls were added. You see, when I read the Word of God, I begin to see connections that begin to form. I see now, when I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm not just reading a collection of histories. I'm reading descriptions of what is to come. When I read those genealogies, instead of saying, good grief, that's a name... Instead of reading that, I say, this is a description of God saying, I'm proving. I'm showing you, you can go down the timeline and the promise I made to Abraham came true. Everything is written in the Scriptures for a reason. Why do we read negative things about the Lord's men? Would it not be better to have all positive messages and say, hey, look at the greatness that David did. Why do I need to know about Bathsheba? Because the Lord says you can make mistakes. You can fall from grace, but you can also come home. You can also make it right. I can describe David as a man after my own heart, even after the things that he did, why he repented and he came home. Everything is written for a reason. Romans chapter 8, verse 10 describes, How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Friends, that's not talking about just the man who stands in a pulpit. That's every one of us. I heard a preacher on one occasion describe if half the congregation treated their work as a Christian, as a preacher, we wouldn't be able to fit all the people in the room. If everyone took the time to reach out to those that they knew and to try to bring them to Christ to show them, here's what I did and here's how it's a benefit. And in some ways that statement is true. But there's discouragement in evangelism, is there not? There's discouragement when we try to reach the lost, but they don't want to hear. It's discouraging when I tell them about the love of Christ and they don't care. It's discouraging when I tell them about the warnings of what's to come and they don't believe it. So why keep going? Why keep trying to reach them? God, I try to help these people, but they just don't care. Because God says one of them will. Someone will. Friends, we're not trying to evangelize those who don't care. We're trying to find the ones who do. We want to give the opportunity to all, but those who will not hear, what did Jesus describe? Don't cast your pearls before swine. But I want them to be safe. I want them to be okay. Absolutely, that's true. We should always have a heart to save the lost. But some will not care. 
Some will not listen. So I keep under, but I can't understand all of that without first of all looking at the Word of God. How will I know how to handle discouragement? How will I know how to handle difficulties? Well, I read about the Apostle Paul. I read about what he wrote to the young preacher Timothy when he told him to keep going even when others were... Notice what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He says, let no man despise thy youth. Why would he write that to Timothy? The implication there is there were some who were discrediting him. Some who weren't listening to him because of his age. So what did he tell him to do? You go beat those people over the head because they should be listening to you. No, what does he say? Be an example of the believers in word and conversation, spirit and faith and purity. He says, don't give them a reason. How do I handle the difficulties when the world tries to keep me from doing the word of God, keep me from preaching? What does the example of Paul say? Go to another town and try again. When they try to beat you down, just get up and keep going. See, we have examples, lessons that we can learn to help us to get through this life because, friends, if we go through our whole lives without even looking at an example on how to fix it, how foolish is that? Why would I want to make the same mistakes that everyone else made? I should try to learn from those mistakes. See, God gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. Everything that was written down, it's for us to know, for us to have what we need to live this life. God didn't waste his time giving us this book. This book is not just something that we can say, well, this is nice to have around, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. Friends, this book is our lifeline. This book is what helps us to live this life. Now, somebody say, well, I don't need some you know, Bronze Age book to tell me how to live my life. That's true. You can choose to live it however you want to. But if you want to live a faithful life, That is a desperate need. If you want to live a life in faithfulness to God and commitment to God, that book is absolutely essential. I have to read the Word of God. Without it, how am I going to know the things that I need to know? But in order to understand it, we have to rightly divide the Word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why would he have to say rightly dividing? Why can't he just say just reading it and understanding it? When you have a book such as the Bible that is a living book, some things do take deeper investigation. Notice how the Bible is described. The things that are absolutely essential, the things that we have to know, are fairly simple to understand, are they not? It's fairly simple for us to understand, I'm in sin. Starting in Genesis chapter 3, all the way to the book of Revelation, we read mankind is in sin. Man has sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's easy to understand. I understand I'm in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. I'm not capable of removing the sin from myself, so I need someone who can save me. It's easy to understand that that Savior is Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came down to this earth, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross to be that perfect sacrifice. It's easy to understand that after that sacrifice, there are things that I need to do. There's a path I need to follow. Because of that sin, because of what I've done with my life, I have to be forgiven for that. So how do I access that forgiveness? I'm baptized into Christ, 1 Peter 3.21, raised from that burial to live a new life in Christ. That's easy to understand. 
It's easy to understand that after that, I have to make sure that I'm following after the Lord. I have to commit to Him, follow Him however He says. According to Revelation 2, verse 10, we must be faithful unto death and we will receive a crown of life. Those are the things that are easy to understand. But there are some things that we have to dig a little deeper, are there not? It's easy to say what, it's hard to say why. It's easy to, dis- to say what the Bible says. It's hard to describe why that is. It's easy to tell someone that they're in sin for a lifestyle that they're living, but it's hard to tell them why sometimes. Why does God have specific rules for marriage? Why did He lay this out? Why can't we just live however makes us happy? Because God is showing you an image of what it's like for Him to be in that relationship with His church. He's committed to the church. The only thing that severs his relationship with the church is what? Sin. Infidelity. A lack of commitment to him is the only thing that severs that relationship. Why did he make divorce that way? Showing you that's the only acceptable way. And it's not even what he wants. We read in the book of Micah that he hates the idea of separation. Why did he build the church the way that he did? to show us that we don't have to be alone. To give us the strength together to get through. All these things were given to us for a reason. Why is hard. That's why it takes digging. That's why it takes study. If I'm in the same place today with my knowledge and understanding of the Word of God as I was ten years ago, something's wrong. Something's wrong. If I am in a better place today than I was before, then I'm working. I'm trying. I'm growing. But if I'm in a worse place than I was before, I've given up. I've given up. Reading the Word of God is far more important than than we sometimes give it credit for. It's more than just reading a book and doing our Sunday night reading or our bedtime reading. Friends, this is building a life. This is the knowledge that we are gaining to build a life in Christ. But it's more than just reading the Word of God. The other thing that God gave us and told us to do, obey Him. See, I can read the Word of God. I can have all that knowledge crammed into my head. I can sit through classes. I can do everything I want to do. And I can have all that knowledge sitting there. But if I never obey it, does it really have any worth? Has it really made any difference in my life or the life of anyone else? Knowledge without use is garbage. Knowledge without practice is worthless. Imagine if someone spent all their time, they study to be an engineer, they study all that needs to be done for modern medicine. Let's say the world collapsed tomorrow and this guy says, I have all the knowledge of the old world. I can bring medicine back. I can build bridges. I can build massive skyscrapers if we want to. And they say, great, what do we need to do? He says, I ain't going to do anything. Figure it out. I'll tell you if you're wrong. What kind of use is that? How helpful is that person? But friends, that is an image and a description of most Christians in the world. They have knowledge, but they're not willing to share it. They have 
commitment to being at the worship assembly. They have commitment to living a quote-unquote good Christian life, but they never try to reach the lost. They never encourage their brothers and sisters in Christ. They never work to try to grow themselves in the Word of God. Obedience is essential. See, if I'm trying to live a faithful life, if I can know the Word of God, but I don't try to live it, what have I really done? You see, faith without works is dead, according to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. James describes how there's... He says, you can go ahead and try to show me your faith without your works, but I will show you my faith by my works. Well, there you go, Josh, trying to describe that we got to all work ourselves to heaven. There's no way that we can... No, no, no. There's a difference in belief and faith. There's a difference in those two things. I can believe something, but not act on it. If I believe the building is on fire, and I stand right here and do not move, I do not have faith. (laughs) I do not have faith. Because faith is belief motivated to action. Faith is a commitment to a cause. Like it or not, we can look around the world and we see people who are activists. And some of those people can be the most obnoxious human beings. But we can say this about some of them. They truly believe what they're doing. They're committed to what they're doing. They're willing to disrupt anything and everything to make sure that what they believe does not happen. In our country, we really hate this idea of zealousness. You can believe whatever you want to, just don't try to do anything about it. Don't try to change anything. Don't stir the pot. But friends, what was described in the first century church? When the Jews tried to attack the first century church, how did they describe them? These that have turned the world upside down are come here also. They were considered troublemakers. They were considered those who upset the calmness of the society. Friends, we don't really think about this too much, but Rome and Greece were very tolerant nations. They were very tolerant for religions. What they didn't tolerate were religions that upset upset the status quo. What they didn't tolerate were religions that didn't maybe accept that Caesar was in charge. But in terms of religions, most of the time when Rome would come into a nation, they would conquer it, they would let them keep their religion. Just as long as it doesn't upset the empire. Now some emperors came in and they tried to change things up, but for the most of their history, they were a very tolerant, religiously tolerant nation. So does that not let us know that just because a nation is tolerant doesn't mean it's good? Just because a nation allows Christians to exist doesn't make them good. In fact, I heard one preacher describe on an occasion that one of the worst things a nation can do to the church is allow them to be comfortable. Because it's easy to be a Christian when we never have to fight for it. It's easy to be a Christian when we don't have to actually be committed to it, when we can just come in and live our worship on Sunday and then go home. That's easy. It's hard when it costs us something, but faith without works is dead. Obedience is how we show that faith, as we saw in the same passage, James chapter 2, specifically verse 18. But more than just showing that, hearing is a waste. Hearing alone is a waste. 
Hearing is valuable. Learning is valuable. Understanding is valuable. But think about what we would consider someone. Let's say you went to a college. And you went to go be a doctor. You went for all those years. It's double-digit years. I don't know why anyone wants to go to school for double-digit years. (laughs) But you go for those double-digit years. And then when you get out, You've gone through all of that. You've spent all that money, all that time. You've learned all of those things. You understand all of this that needs to be known. And you get out and you say, I'm going to go work at a 7-Eleven. I'm just going to go work at a 7-Eleven. What do you think people would say about that person? What were you doing? Why did you do that? If you wanted to work at a 7-Eleven, you could have done that for free. Years ago. Friends, we can sit, we can go to all these lectureships. We can go to these great events that are members of the church are putting on. We can sit in Bible classes. We can sit in Bible studies. But if we never put those thoughts, those lessons to action, we've wasted our time. If we never apply those things to our lives, we've wasted our time. I can sit up in a pulpit and I can preach lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson for years. And if I never apply it to myself, I've wasted my time. You can hear those lessons and if you don't apply it, it's a waste of your time. This isn't meant to be a discouraging thing. In fact, it's meant to be the opposite. Because if we do apply it, there's nothing better we could be doing. If we do apply this to our life, if we are committed to the Lord, there is nothing better that we could be doing. So what will I do? This is the point that some people like to try to criticize Christianity about. But obedience is our show of love for God. Now, some might say, well, that's some loving God. He's like, obey me or die. Why would God ask us to love, to obey Him? Why wouldn't He just make us obey Him? Why didn't He just make us with all this programmed into ourselves and be committed to Him for all of eternity? We never make a mistake. Some say that's the better option. Obedience is our show of love for God because if we do not obey Him, we cannot be with Him. If we sin against Him, if we separate ourselves from Him, we cannot be with Him. By obeying Him, by listening to what He says, that is the only way I can have a relationship with Him. See, God described it as a marriage without accident. If I'm committed to the terms, if I honor the agreement that I made to my spouse, that relationship can last till the day we die. What happens if I break that agreement? What happens if I go beyond what I'm allowed to do in that marriage? It breaks. It falls apart. The only way that I can love God is by obeying Him because that is the only way I can be in heaven with Him. That is the only way I can follow after Him. Without this obedience, without the Word of God, I'm lost. But He gave me a way to come home. 
He gave me a way to follow after Him. And He only told me to read and obey. Now someone says, that sounds a little too simple, Josh. There's always these, these lists of rules we got to follow, right? There are rules, but that's why we read and we obey. If I don't read, I don't know the rules. If I don't read, I don't know the one I'm obeying. And if I don't obey, I wasted my time with the reading. Who are you this morning? Are you one who's obedient to God? Are you one who is committed to Him? Do you love the Lord and you want to follow after Him no matter what? This is the way we follow Him. Maybe this morning, this is the first you've heard about the Word of God. Maybe you didn't know what to do, or maybe you've had issues with this. Maybe you've studied with people before, but you want to know more. We're willing to sit down and study with you and try to help you to understand this better. But maybe you've never become a member of the Lord's Church. Maybe you don't know what this means. Maybe you want to become a member of the Lord's Church and to have these things. He made that path available to me and to you. You must hear the word according to Romans 10, 17. Believe it to be true, John 8, 24. Upon believing this thing, understanding it is true, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins, Acts 17, 30. And based upon that repentance, that change of mind just brings a change of life, we're willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's exactly who He said He was, and I'm following Him, according to Romans 10, 10. And based upon that confession, that acknowledgement, that commitment to God, I'm going to be baptized into Christ. 1 Peter 3, 21, Acts I can bury that old man of sin. I can raise him to walk in newness of life according to Romans chapter 8. And in that new life, that following of God, I have to remain faithful. I must be obedient to him, committed to him according to Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you became a member of the Lord's church, but maybe you began to slip. You stopped reading, you stopped growing, you allowed yourself to drift away from God to now you don't even feel like there is a connection to Him. You can make that right today. Mend that relationship with God and keep walking in His light. According to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you have any need this morning, don't hesitate. Don't wait for a better opportunity. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.